Well, are you feeling that need to get on some gloves and get out in your garden and get it ready for the year? Well, we know it's been a soggy spring so far here in the Pacific Northwest, but there are things that we can get started and get planning. Master Gardener Margaret Reilly, a gardener's catechism, 100 plants in Christian tradition on how to grow them, is the perfect practical guide to creating a garden that is more than just landscape. Margaret Rose is joining me today to encourage you to get outside and let your garden be your spiritual guide. Good morning, Margaret. Thank you so much for joining us on The Morning Blend. Well, thank you for having me. Well, first for our listeners, tell us about how you became kind of a lover of things that grow in the dirt. Well, it started when I was probably about three years old, and I can very clearly remember going through my father's perfectly manicured lawn, pulling up little teeny tiny buttercups that were trailing throughout. The family business was also greenhousing. So I grew up in the green industry all of my life and then went to university uh, and studied as well. Well, Margaret, we talk about, you know, what it was like in biblical times and what scripture tells us about the kinds of plants, not only that they grew, but the different kinds of fruits and vegetables they ate. Does the Bible give us a wealth of information about what was happening during that time, what they were growing, or do we have to look at all of the other resources and just kind of a historical understanding of the Holy Land and what grows there? I think your understanding with looking at the Holy Land historically and the seasons and what was growing during that period, some of it is referenced in the Bible by name, but a lot of it is very general. Um, The flowers of the field is a very good example because there are are several that would have been in flower during the time of the Passion. In fact, the Shroud of Turin, which is referenced in the book, also talks about um, how they pinpoint the date of the um, crucifixion based on the pollens and the flowers, and they can also tell the region that it took place in because some of the plants are very specific to only certain areas in the um, Holy Land. Well, Margaret, we Portland here, we are called the Rose City, and we know that many hybridists, they go through and they create roses with different fragrances and just a vibrancy of color. And in your book, you talk a little bit about vintage-style color, botanical drawings. What does that mean, and what can we think about when we look at vintage-style color? Um, I was talking about vintage design of the illustrations, um, I was, uh, the artist did a wonderful job of using some of your basic colors in uh, her artistry. And then there's mm. also a reference in the book about the uh, traditional and modern colors of, like, the rosary um, and the mysteries that are related to it. Oh, it's beautiful. You can pray your rosary and just look at your garden. I think those are two things that absolutely go perfectly together. That's a little bit about what you'll learn in Margaret Rose Reilly's new book, A Garden Catechism, 100 Plants in Christian Tradition and How to Grow Them. Well, Margaret, let's talk a little bit about some of the symbolism in Christian literature and art and folklore. You mentioned buttercups in the beginning of our interview. Tell our listeners the symbolism of that beautiful flower. Well, the one I'm referring to in the book is called the Persian buttercup, which is a ranunculus. And there's just a lovely little Italian folk legend that talks about 
Jesus, possibly after he had risen on Easter morning or after his res- uh, ascension, he wanted to give his Holy Mother a gift that would always be a light on earth of his love for her. Um, he gathered up, the story goes, he gathered up the tiniest stars and transformed them into these little five-petal buttercups and scattered them about for his mother to see wherever she roamed. This is one of the reasons um, why these bright yellow flowers are used to decorate Mediterranean churches during Holy Week. And um, the native species buttercup um, that blooms out through eastern Mediterranean has a common Hebrew name of to give light, to shine. And another legend about the monoculus, this, this little yellow flower, relates to the rainbow and that God's promise to Noah. The golden flowers of buttercups are said to grow wherever the rainbow touched the earth, which led to the story about the pot of gold. Well, we also know that when I look at my garden, I picked out a plant one time from the from a local gardener because it was covered with bees. For whatever reason, the bees were really attracted to this one. And I thought, well, that's the kind of plant that I want in my yard. Is that important also to think about when we're, we're creating a garden that those things that bring life towards it, butterflies and, and bees and those kinds of things, so that way, well, not only you're enjoying your garden, well, so is all of God's creation. That's very true, and it's very important, and it is one of the um, symbols that I use in the book has to do with pollinator attraction. And it is to draw in the hummingbirds, bees, butterflies, any pollinators, flies. They all um, are important for our food supply. And, uh, yeah, it's very important to have that in the garden. And I do include that in the book so that people, when they do choose a flower, they can look to see if it's uh, going to fulfill that need. Well, one of the things also that is not only attractive to the eye, but we talk about how our own spiritual life is just enhanced by the beauty of what's in your garden, the joy that it brings you to be out in really creation and cultivating, you know, fruits and vegetables, even flower. You talk a little bit also in your book about how to craft a prayer garden and selecting the right plants for that. What do you mean by that? Well, I call it a garden of visible prayer. And interesting that you should ask about that. Um, Our Sunday visitor who published this book has accepted a companion book to this, which is about creating that garden. And that book um, should be coming out um, in a while. But what I wanted to say is that when you create a garden of visible prayer, you want to establish what is important to you. You want to discern what leads you into, you know, a sense of prayer. And it's not the whole landscape. It's a very small portion. It could be the corner between the deck and the garage. Um, It could be that back fence area between the houses. It's just a small space that you can go and you can sit and you would include um, elements that are important to you, such as possibly an icon or, you know, a cross or a statue, um, anything that is reflective. And then the plants you would select would also be based, well, not only on your, you know, your, your zone that you live in and the uh, environment, but what plants speak to you personally. Um, I would not be interested in growing a rose, even though it's very popular in your area. Um, for me, a rose is thorny and prickly, and it okay. doesn't, lead, doesn't lead me to prayer. I would be more inclined to have a shady garden in that I would choose that the Lord would protect me from the burning sun of our society. 
you know, and the things that are harsh. So it's just whatever leads you into prayer, whether um, it's in a shade garden or uh, you want a sunny location, vivid, bright colors or things that are muted, or maybe you just like greens. I'm very fond of the texture of hostas and Lenten roses, those sort of things that have different colored greens in them that are very soft. And green is a color of uh, eternity because it's, it's ever growing. So when you're creating a prayer garden for yourself, you really want to focus on what leads you to prayer, and there's a section in the book that helps you go through the process of discerning that. Well, Margaret, I'm just feeling so inspired right now to get into my garden, but I want to find out more about what I need to do to get planting. I am coming up against my break. Can you stay with me through the break so we can continue in our next half hour? Yeah, I'd like to talk about the St. Fiacre Garden if we could. That's a vegetable garden. I am continuing now my conversation with Margaret Reilly. We are talking today about her new book, A Garden Catechism, 100 Plants in Christian Tradition and How to Grow Them. Margaret is joining us today, well, to give us a little inspiration to get out into the garden. Margaret, thanks so much for staying with me today. Thank you. Well, Margaret, we want to talk about some things about how to have a prayer garden. You're going to give us some tips in just a moment. But there's also a unique way in growing vegetables. Tell us about it. Thank you. I would love to tell you about the St. Fiacre Garden. Now, St. Fiacre, first of all, he created the first Marian garden. And um, St. Francis is usually seen in the garden, but he's actually a patron of, uh, of the environment and not necessarily of gardens. St. Fiacre is really the patron saint for gardens, and he used to grow um, just copious amounts of vegetables and fruits and things. But there was an interesting twist to what he did in that, of course, he tithed to the poor, but it's what I call a reverse tithing. He gave away 90% of his garden to feed the the community and only kept 10% for himself or his brother monks. So it's something that I encourage any community or even for your own little vegetable garden is to consider planting a garden in remembrance or I should say to honor St. Fiacre and share what you grow. And that's sharing more than just zucchinis. Mm-hmm. Oh, that you know, you can't help but feel wonderful about bringing things in. I think that we've had it even here at the station before where somebody will grow that that item and beautiful heirloom tomatoes and zucchini and all kinds of things and bring them in. And to be able to take these things home and then just make a wonderful meal, you go, well, this is how God had designed it all along. Oh, I am so inspired. Yes, that's that's very true. He did intend for us to share. Well, you talked about some of those greeneries and and different types of plants, just depending on your own well spiritual journey. Margaret, we were talking as we were preparing that the rosemary, that beautiful herb that we can use in so many of our own cooking dishes, we can grow our own herbs there. There is a unique story about rosemary and the life of Christ, especially, you know, as we move into this Easter season of the calendar that well, you know, different kinds of plants can also help us reflect on the life of our saints and our Savior, Jesus. Tell us about the rosemary. Well, the rosemary was present throughout all of Christ's life, and it's really not mentioned in the Bible because the rosemary was used as a, a utilitarian herb. So 
to be in the Bible would be like writing about dish soap. It's not relevant to the story of Christ, but its use as an insect repellent um, during the nativity. Uh, Joseph, being a bachelor all of his life, would have known well to use the rosemary to repel insects in bedding. So he would have probably just walked outside the stable, broken a few branches, and laid it in the manger. The other thing is, is that it's uh, the shrub is used for laundering. So when crows were washed, it would be laid upon a rosemary bush, and the sun would draw the oils into the fabric, and again would protect people from you know insects. So through all of Christ's life, his freshly laundered clothes would have smelled of rosemary. Wow. And then in in the uh, religious practices of the Jews, um, copious amounts of rosemary were used in the tombs, possibly to um, mask the odor. And the holy women, when they were coming um, after the Sabbath to anoint Jesus' body, would definitely have carried armloads of this herb, and in all likelihood, cast them aside when they realized the risen Christ. Of course would not have need for them. Wow. You know, we are always looking for natural ways, especially here in the Pacific Northwest, kind of part of our healthy living outlook on life to find those ways that are natural insect repellents and, well, go no further than your own garden and get a few uh, sprigs of rosemary. See if that'll do the trick for you. That's just some of what you'll learn in Margaret's new book, a Gardener's Catechism. Margaret, tell our listeners where they're going to be able to get a copy for themselves. Of course, you can go through our Sunday Visitor Catholic Bookstore. Local um, Christian and Catholic stores or catalogs, you can order through them if they don't already have it in stock. And there are many online sites like Amazon or Christian Booksellers, Barnes & Nobles, any of those sources. Oh, it sounds perfect. You can pick up a copy for yourself. But, Margaret, you also have access through Facebook and your online webpage. If somebody wanted to give this a gift or keep it for themselves, maybe a signed copy, find more information, where can they go do that? They just go to Facebook and look up my name, Margaret Rose, really. It will uh, show you where I'm at, and you can send me a message, or you can go on Facebook to The Catholic Gardener and do the same. Um Either one is is a good source if you'd like a signed copy. Oh, well, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for that. And Margaret, thank you for your time today. What a wonderful book. Oh, and we look forward to getting out in our gardens very soon. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. And again, that is Margaret Rose Reilly. So the name of her book in full, A Garden Catechism, 100 Plants in Christian Tradition and How to Grow Them. It is out by our Sunday Visitor Press. I will be sure to add all of the links that Margaret was just talking about so you can get right to where you need to be. You'll find those links on the podcast of this interview, materdayradio.com and the Hail Mary media app.